0: The Providence Journal presents Pick and Pop, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch.
1: Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. It's our roughly weekly look at the college basketball scene, college basketball world, not only here in Rhode Island, but around the country. And we're nearing the end of the college basketball season with the Final Four, coming up this weekend in San Antonio. Uh, This is Kevin McNamara of The Journal with Bill Koch. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Kevin, great to be here with you as always. It's a busy time of year, uh, as we say, in college basketball, but uh, especially busy here in Rhode Island because not only are the fans looking forward to a Final Four and uh, Sister Jean... Everyone's favorite. uh, Gotta love Sister Jean. Isn't she outstanding? She's the best. And you know, Loyola will probably get some flack over promoting Sister Jean because now you can get a Sister Jean bobblehead. You can get Sister Jean Nikes with Sister and Jean on them. Nice, among other things. And I say. God
0: bless him. God bless him. Run, right, run it, run it right to the bank. Sister Jean is doing God's work right now. There's no question She's about it. She's helping her school. No question. Yes, and uh,
1: so good luck uh, to all four Final Four teams, and we will circle back to the Final Four before we uh, finish up this podcast. But we're going to begin with a look at the um, the end of the season for both the Providence College Friars and the University of Rhode Rams, and then uh, delve a little bit into the coaching search, the URI coaching search, which is ongoing right now, Um, but we're going to start off with the Friars, Bill. Uh, We did not address the end of the season uh, loss for PC. They uh, went to the NCAA tournament for a fifth straight year, took a look around, and left the NCAA tournament uh, quickly after a 73-69 loss to Texas A&M in Charlotte. Uh, Bill, I know you watched the game. Um, I was there. I was very impressed with A&M. Who went on to uh, manhandle the North Carolina Tar Heels, 86-65, before having uh, their run and uh, against Michigan. Michigan played an unbelievable offensive game and beat A&M 99-72. So, I guess Providence can say that they didn't lose to a bunch of bums. A&M uh, was certainly a pretty good team and has a first-round draft pick who. Easily was the best big guy I saw all season long who played against Providence, Robert Williams. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, how do you assess the end of the season
0: for the Friars? Well, uh, in terms of playing against A&M, that game alone, uh, I think they lost a the game in the first six minutes, Kevin. Uh, you know, Texas A&M could not buy a basket. They were scoreless under the 14-minute mark, and Providence was only ahead 4 nothing. was it correct? It was 8-2, and they had no field goals. And, and that was the point where, you know, if you're Providence, you had to make your move right then. You know, you should have been up 15 to 20-2, and Texas A&M wasn't necessarily a team that's built to play from behind. They like to grind it out, force. It inside, use their size and sort of wear on you a little bit. And Providence had a chance to to establish some separation there and didn't do it. I felt like that was a bad sign. Uh, and then when you just got down to the end, that size and that length allowed Texas A&M to either score around the basket or get fouled and go to the line, uh, which down the stretch, you know, really helped them be a little bit more consistent offensively in terms of making the most out of their possessions. Uh, you know, for Providence fifth straight NCAA tournament it extends the longest streak in school history it's a phenomenal achievement uh, Ed Cooley really has it rolling there. The senior class, in my mind, uh, they leave a bit of a complicated legacy for me. Um, you know, obviously a class that went to four straight tournaments, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful achievement. You had some great performances there individually at times from Kyron Cartwright, Rodney Bullock, Jalen Lindsey. But I think this group you know, might have this season been a bit of an enigma, a little bit inconsistent, and I think they might have left some folks wanting just a little bit more from them? A little bit inconsistent? I I think we used that word on the podcast about, uh,
1: well, 150 times about the Friars this year and especially about the senior class. Uh, As you said, it's a senior class that can say we played in four NCAA tournaments, won one game in the NCAA tournament, but clearly didn't peak in the NCAA tournament. And, And I think that's Ed Cooley's charge going forward is to <clears throat> number one, continue to get his team into the NCA tournament, which, which is hard. I, I think people don't quite maybe appreciate, you know, they say, oh, five for five, you know, great, let's make it six for six. But Providence, is, if you look at their seed track, with the exception of one year, two years ago when they were a sixth seed, they're barely getting into the tournament, and they're really, really fighting to get into the tournament. usually need a little action in the Big East tournament to get into the NCA tournament. That's not how the winners live. The winners go to their conference tournament, and they're all set. You know, they're playing for seed. Uh, They're making sure that they're healthy. Uh, Providence put it all on the line in the Big East tournament and clearly peaked. Uh, Beat a number one seed in Xavier in overtime and had potentially the national champion, Villanova, beat in regulation before losing in overtime in the Big East championship game. God bless you, you know, great run in the Big East Tournament in New York by the Friars, but then that inconsistency popped up, they go to the NCAA Tournament and just didn't play nearly as well. And, you know, that'll get you. You, you, don't, you can't play a bad game in March in the NCAA tournament and win.
0: You know, it's just, you're going to get bit. I think the next step for Providence going forward, uh, and they're going to have a chance to do this because Ed Cooley has in place going forward that practice facility, the way that they travel, the way that they spend. There is still more room to grow there. And, and I think they've built themselves a very solid foundation uh, at Providence and, and I think that's a credit not only to Ed Cooley but to the athletic department there, the work that they've done whether it be Bob Driscoll or Steve Napolillo uh, you know, raising funds I, I think they've done a phenomenal job getting close to maxing out what they can be um, in Providence's case I think the next step is you try to eliminate some of the bad losses in the league that you have you look at DePaul this year, Marquette at home, if you win those two games you're in much better shape in terms of the NCAA tournament. I also think in the Conference, you know, maybe it's time that they challenge themselves a little more. Uh, you know, you would look and say, what was their marquee win out of conference? Did they have one or, or two? Um, you know, and, and I don't know if they necessarily gave themselves a ton of chances. And and they're going to have a chance. Yeah, you know. I'm, dis- I'm going to disagree with that. I, I think they did, but to
1: project what teams are going to be really good a year, two and a half years in advance. Like Houston. They, they scheduled a Houston game on purpose. Sure. Lost it. Uh, Houston uh, was a, a certain NCAA team. And in the uh, preseason tournament, well, I got to think hard now.
0: Had Washington they had wa- and St. Louis. Washington was
1: supposed to have Markel Fultz. Uh, and uh, right. and um, trying to think. Uh, Porter? Porter was, was going. There. Michael Porter. Michael Jr. Porter. Right. So you know you put either one of those two guys, and Virginia Tech was supposed to be in theory they were going to play Virginia Tech, which was an NCAA tournament team. So they played Washington without Porter without Fultz, uh, won, and then didn't play Virginia Tech. They played a bad St. Louis team. So that didn't that. So that tournament was kind of a zero. Right. And then as I said, the Houston. Guys, there were opportunities there, and uh, also their. Um, their Big Ten game, they lost to Minnesota. Right. Minnesota was a top-25 team at the time. So I think they did have opportunities, and it just didn't fall their way this year. They either lost games or those teams weren't what they were expected to be. Uh, but that inconsistency certainly popped up, and they lost to UMass on the road and one other game at home. Um, they the, la- the DePaul game the, at home. Yeah, the DePaul game at home. Um, you know, Those two certainly stand out and then maybe they
0: go to the Big East Tournament knowing they're in the NCAAs. I guess what I'm getting at is you know, Providence is at the point now making five straight NCAAs and having Ed Cooley as the coach. He's a very visible face. This is a marketable program at this point. They could play in one of these showcase events, whether it be at Madison Square Garden or in Brooklyn or in Nassau Coliseum. Going forward, this could be an annual thing, mm-hmm. and I think that they could maybe shoot for a little higher inclusion into, say, not playing with St. Louis and Virginia Tech and Washington, maybe the next tier up. And and I think that with that practice facility coming in and with the work that Ed Cooley has done on the recruiting trail, the talent is going to be there within the next year or two and is going to be mature enough maybe to take on someone in a, a road and then a neutral game at Madison Square or, you know, try to get into like a preseason NIT where you're playing in Arizona or somebody yep. who you might not often see.
1: No, and actually th- those boxes have been checked. Next year they're playing in the hall of back in the Hall of Fame event at uh, Mohegan. Michigan's in there. Now, I don't know if Michigan's the first-round opponent, but to your point, I insist that Michigan is my first-round opponent. Yes, I, you want to play those games right away. Yes, the following year they go to Maui, so, so they are in—you know—they're in the right events. But again, you can't predict who you play, which team shows up with—you uh, know—the big boys, or the big
0: boys are back uh, in the NBA somewhere. But that's exactly the sort of thing that they should be trying to do, and that's encouraging that they have events like that on their schedule. Mm-hmm. No question. And and it comes down
1: to talent too. You know, I th- I think overall, if you look at the Friar team this year. Uh, they had a few guys who, you know, all three seniors, uh, Kyron Cartwright, Rodney Bullock, Jalen Lindsey, statistically, anyways, took a slight step back uh, statistically. That's not what you want from your seniors. You want the seniors to go out with, with a big year. Usually that's what you want seniors to stick around for. And that didn't happen with the Friars for whatever reason. Uh, those guys are all graduated. Quick look at the Friars for next year. Uh, I think they build around Alpha Diallo, who's who's probably a preseason first team Agreed. Big East guy. Yes. Uh, Nate Watson uh, inside showed an awful lot of promise. Uh, big off season for him. I expect him to make a really big jump. Uh, Isaiah Jackson will be a fifth-year senior coming back. Uh, the, the possibility of Emmett Holt is still out there. Uh, that is very unclear, fans. You know, I think a lot of people are just relying. Will Emmett will be back and fully healthy? He still has a long way to go health-wise. There certainly is a chance that he never plays college basketball again. There's also a chance that he makes really of a, a storybook recovery and has has a good, you know, year next year. It's 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 too early right now to uh, to pinpoint that. Uh, the big question with the Friars is who plays point guard. Uh, Mackay yes. Ashton Langford is a rising sophomore, didn't get a chance to play all that much this year because of Kyron Cartwright as a as a senior, you know, star point guard, uh, has to make a huge jump, um, and they welcome David Duke. Uh, the Providence uh, native recruit, those are really the only two point guards. I think Providence I- is going to actively continue to recruit backcourt players for next year. Uh, they're involved with a few guys right now, two, a couple highly ra- rated guys who I don't know if they can get, but they've jumped in late here. Uh, they clearly want another guard. Um, I think Ed Cooley has seen that um, the way college basketball is right now, you don't need one point guard. You don't need two point guards. You probably need three who, who can penetrate and score and play of different sizes. And they have that right now a little bit, but they could use one more. <clears throat> and then all of these guys will be going to Italy in uh, August, which was really timed really well. Uh, for a team with, with a good chunk of returnees back in a really big freshman class. They have four incoming freshmen as we speak. Again, I think they would like five. So, uh, you know, obviously the p- program is really pointed in the right direction.
0: Now, Ed Cooley typically has had a good point guard to run his offense, whether you go all the way back to Vince Council, who he inherited, Bryce Cotton, who he inherited, uh, and then Chris Dunn and Kyron Cartwright, both of whom he recruited. Uh, you hope that Makai ashton Langford plays up to his pedigree. He's a top 35 recruit. You hope that you see that on the floor next year. Kevin, to your point about them adding one more, um, they've offered a scholarship to James Akinjo who mm-hmm. was signed to Connecticut and received a release from his letter of intent after Kevin Ollie was fired. He's a top 100 player uh, right at the bottom end of the top 100. In California. Right. So to your point, they're obviously active in that market and that is obviously a position that they're willing to add. You also wonder about the future of Malik White here. Uh, You know, whether or not maybe just because of his experience he gets a chance to start in the backcourt next to Makai Ashton-Langford, at least at the start of next season. Yeah, I I think
1: what Ed said to me was we need more guys who can create offense from the wing. Um, And obviously... That was Cartwright's job this year, and he did, right. it, did it very well. Uh, Malik can do that, but he's more of an off-guard. I, I think that in their minds, he's definitely more of an off-guard, uh, valuable piece. Uh, but, again, they, they'd want someone else who's more ball-dominant, uh, just in case David Duke might not be that point guard, as a freshman especially. Right. Um, so the more the merrier, and uh, you know, everyone says, well, if they bring him in, who's going to play and who's not going to be around? These things have a way of working themselves. Yes, out. they do. Yes, and uh, it's not a not not a concern for fans. It's a concern for the coach, and the coach uh, thinks that he could use. There's another name out there, uh, Ashton Hagens, who's a top 10 recruit in the class of 2019. He's Mr. Basketball in Georgia. Providence has offered uh, in the last uh, month, along with a slew of others, because it seemed as if Ashton may be a 2018 recruit. Ah. Uh, and there's, there's one school named Kentucky that is now involved, if by chance he's an 18 recruit. So and
0: we'll see what happens there. Last I checked, Kentucky seems to have a way of freeing up scholarships. It's called guys declaring for the draft. Yeah, and John
1: Calipari was quoted in the USA Today, I think uh, today or yesterday, saying Basically, my whole team's going to declare for the draft. Right. Now, who knows who comes back, but my whole team. So, right. Okay. Good for you, John. If, if your whole team declare for the draft, you probably should still be playing in the NCAA tournament. But that's a story for another day.
0: Uh, we'll get into that a little bit at the end of the podcast. Yes.
1: On to the uh, Rhode Island Rams, who stuck around a little bit longer than, than the Friars. Um, Rhodey with a first-round win uh, in overtime over Oklahoma. And then a comeuppance against Duke in the second round, where Duke uh, looked like the national champion, um, easily played their best game of the NCAAs. Uh, the Blue Devils were knocked out on Sunday against Kansas in overtime, 85-81, and probably the best game, uh, best high-end competitive game anyways in the NCAAs. But, uh, and then within days, uh, Dan Hurley, uh, the guy who re- rebuilt the Rams and made them into a back-to-back NCAA tournament team, left uh, to go to the University of Connecticut so it's been a pretty busy time here for Bill Koch
0: more importantly uh, than the Rhode Island Rams. uh, A whirlwind in Kingston over the last two weeks Uh, obviously the high of winning an NCAA game for the second straight season it's the first time they've ever done that in program history. Uh, Dan Hurley became the only coach in URI history to win NCAA games in two different tournaments. Uh, It's a tribute to the senior class there, the five guys who will graduate. They won 91 games in four years. That's school record, Um, you know, and obviously when you look at the names who are going to walk out that door, whether it be E.C. Matthews or Jared Terrell or Jarvis Garrett, uh, or guys who came a little later, Stan Robinson and and Andre Berry, a very special group and and a group that uh, has made Rhode Island basketball relevant once again. No question. Uh, Definitely have the Rams,
1: you know, I had the Rams in the top 25 all season long. Uh, I, I think there's a really unique opportunity right now for Rhode Island in the space of the Atlantic 10. For the last 10 years, the best programs in the league have been VCU and Dayton. They're both in a really, I'd say, interesting spot. They have new coaches. Um, uh, it's tough to say that either one is going to achieve great heights. It's too early to say, I should say that. Um, You know, they're hopeful, but rebuilding seasons this year where neither one was a, a, you know, upper end uh, top 100 team in the country, where Rhode Island has things in place to remain at that upper upper end of the Atlantic 10. But, of course, in college basketball, the number one piece of any program is the head coach. And uh, where Rhode Island goes with its coaching search in the next uh, really week or so, uh, is
0: just, it, 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 they're really at a crossroads. You've had uh, three of the recruiting class out of four reiterate their commitments to Rhode Island. Jermaine Harris did so yesterday. Uh, that's on a Tuesday. We're taping this on a Wednesday, correct? I've lost track of the today's Today is Tuesday. Oh, today is Tuesday. Yep. On Monday. Thank you, Bill Corey. Um, so, Jermaine Harris, the top 100 big man, the, the type of recruiter Rhode Island, honestly, hasn't really had since maybe Luther Clay. Lamar Odom, uh, I mean, not too many top 100 forwards not, running around. Not, not big guys. Um, That's they've had some guards, but not big guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's reiterated his commitment along with Dana Tate and Tyrese Martin. You're waiting on Brendan Adams, who's probably waiting on the coaching hire. Brendan Adams was a David Cox recruit. You can infer from that what you will. Uh, in Rhode Island's case, though, I'm going to make an analogy, Kevin, that I, I made before we got on the podcast. Dan Hurley leaving was like having a heart attack in a way it's a sudden stop it's a jolt and you could probably re-examine the previous two or three years where there was plenty of talk about how URI I needed to improve its facilities and how they needed to improve its travel and how they needed to pay the staff more Well, none of those things necessarily happened, uh, and especially not last offseason. They travel a little bit. I'll I'll throw them... A little bit. Yeah, they certainly started to uh, get charters. Now, I think that that's because financially they weren't necessarily in place. I do not think that that was inaction by David Dooley and Thor Bjorn. I want to make that very clear to folks. Mm -hmm. Dan Hurley leaves. All of a sudden, the donors, when, when they got a whiff that Dan Hurley might be headed to UConn, all of a sudden... This money started pouring out of the ether. God not knows not where. money, promises. Promises of money. No. Saying Thor, saying, Thor, save us Dan Hurley, Thor. Don't let him leave Thor. Mm-hmm. So now this is the equivalent of your doctor saying, you need to walk three miles every day, you need to cut out butter and salt and fats and whatever else. You didn't do it. You had a heart attack. Now are you going to reform and do it? Or are you just going to continue on and say, well, I I dodged a bullet. I'm going to be okay. I am interested to see what happens with those promises. Because if you continue to move the program forward, you can hire a quality coach and you can spin this into something like a Xavier or a VCU. If you don't, then your lot in life is going to be you have some success, you lose the coach, you go back down, you have to rebuild, just like you did after Tom Penders, just like you did after Jim Herrick. It, it will be the same thing. The cycle will repeat. Well, and there's two
1: things that you could do to avoid that. Uh, number one is is invest in the program and hire, hire a, obviously, a good coach. And number two is continue to bring in players. And uh, they work hand-in-hand. Hand. You know, a, a, a good coach can kind of bark at the moon and, and go against the wind and still achieve. And I think Dan Hurley kind of fits that mold in the last couple of years and, and brought Rhode Island to great heights. The question is, is who is the next guy? And is it David Cox, who is the you know in-house candidate, who if we took a poll the current players and the recruits, he would be the almost unanimous choice, I would imagine? Or do you say... This isn't about the current players. This is about the program and the growth of the program. And we can pay a million and a half dollars to get a more established, seasoned coach in here. And I think that's probably what Thorbjorn is struggling with. And if I'm Thorbjorn, um, this is the opportunity to explore both avenues. I, I can make phone calls and inquire about you know, guys who are head coaches and have had some success. Or I can say, I believe in David Cox and I'm really excited about the talent in the program and the talent coming in and I'm willing to, it's it, it's, it's a chance, it's a risk, uh, but going that route. And I, I don't think Thor has that answer yet. And, and again, this is the opportunity for him to explore both sides.
0: Well, we're going to have that answer the next time Thor stands in front of us uh, in a press conference introducing his next coach because we'll have a look at the contract. And if the salary is a certain number... And if the travel arrangements in there are a certain number and the assistant coaching staff is a certain number, we'll know one way or the other whether or not those promises were specific to Dan Hurley or if they were specific to moving URI forward as a program. And, and I think that's you know, where we're going to have to see commitment. Uh, we know the state isn't going to help them out. The state funds them 9%. It's a shame. It, it really is. Well, the state shouldn't have to, I mean, if the, if the
1: program is growing and is popular, uh, kind of similar to what Providence has done. You mentioned Steve and at PC before. Just the number of donors that the Friars have had step up over these five years of winning is impressive. And uh,
0: it's supposed to, you know, the fans have to support a winner. It's as simple as that. And it's, it's a popular misconception that, you know, well, the state shorts us so we can never get this done. Well, that's true. The state does short them on money, but those two things are not mutually exclusive. You need... Donors, fan support, attendance—you know, last year they had a 14% increase in attendance, which is terrific year over year, program record in a Program record, yep. but it still only gets you to 81% capacity. Mm-hmm. VCU plays to 100, Dayton plays to 97. If you want to have that sort of revenue stream, you need to get into that area because that affects so many more things than just what could happen on the court. Uh, you know, and the donors—that goes to the athletic department, the administration, the folks who work for Thorpe Bjorn, uh, you know, whether you be marketing or, or working in development, uh, that part of the operation needs to run better, more seamlessly. They need to be able to produce at this point. Coming off back-to-back NCAs, they have a golden opportunity. We'll see if they take advantage of it. Okay, before we switch to the final
1: four, this is a pointed question. Uh, Dan Hurley's contract uh, has URI getting a 1.25 buyout from him in a lump sum correct if it was paid monthly it would be 1.5 million it's going to be a lump sum because the university of connecticut is going to give him a million of the 1.25 that's right dan Dan should be thankful for many reasons correct um if you're the ad if you're uri do you say boy 1.25 let's pay that 1.25 to match somebody else's buyout so we can get coach x in here Or do we say, wow, 1.25, that's the down payment we need on a practice facility?
0: I am on the phone with my donors saying, are you going to pay David Cox? Because if you are, then I'm taking this buyout and I'm renovating Tutel West tomorrow. I'm starting tomorrow. Well, And you don't have to call the donors for that. You already had, uh, you know, a million dollars. Well, no, but I need need more. But you need more than the one point five to do to tell. I need more. So what I'm saying is, are you going to commit to this guy who we have in-house who's going to preserve the roster? Because if you are, I'm going to take these extra funds, and I'm going to invest it in the program where we need it. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we'll see, as they say, uh, Thor.
1: bion will not be going to the final four he's uh he doesn't want to be attacked on every street corner by uh aspiring coaches uh so uh he'll continue to do his work uh, from not texas i'm sure he won't be uh, at his house in south kingstown the entire time but uh again hopefully sometime next week is really when i i can see uri coming to a conclusion for this uh for this search right um And now the final four. Uh, We'll do a quick hit here, Bill. Uh, Sister Jean plays Michigan in the first game on Saturday in San Antonio and then Villanova and Kansas in the nightcap. My take on Loyola is they're growing on me by the game, by the week, as they are everyone who watches them. Uh, I think Porter Mosier is doing an unbelievable job, especially offensively. I love their movement. I love the way that they get easy shots. Uh, John Beeline on the other side. Uh, I actually think it's a pretty good matchup for Loyola. They play, I wouldn't say the same way, but uh, offensively they have the same type of movement. Um, Michigan just does it with bigger and better players. Uh, although I tell you, the Loyola backcourt is is. I'll take Loyola's backcourt over Michigan's backcourt at this stage of the game. Michigan's front court with with Wagner is is, is imposing and a real
0: problem, but. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is I can see Loyola continuing on. Well, you got Porter Moser, who is a former Rick Majerus assistant, and you see a lot of traits of Majerus basketball in the way that Loyola plays, whether it be that motion offense or that sticky defense that they play. Uh, to your point in the backcourt in Loyola, Clayton Custer was an Iowa State transfer, so that guy can play at a high level, obviously, was recruited at a high level. The other thing I really like about Loyola is you've got seven state champions on that roster, uh, you know, and guys from Illinois, from Kansas, places where they have good high school basketball. That's, that's impressive. That's good pedigree. Uh, you know, Michigan, this is a very different type of job. John Beeline team. Normally, you associate with the offense and the three-point shooting, and we saw that against Texas A&M and the Sweet 16. Mm. But then in the Elite Eight against Florida State, they won a defensive, hand-to-hand combat, possession-by-possession type game against a team with great athletes and great size. And and it was really, you know, the diversity with which Michigan has won some of these games is I think it's unique in terms of recent John Beeline teams. This is Third elite eight in six years, and and I just can't say enough how impressive, how good a head coach he is. He's outstanding. Uh,
1: we saw that. Uh, well, we saw that even before he got to West Virginia, but he took West Virginia to great heights. Uh, just go back in the bracket a little bit, though, in Michigan. In this tournament, they've scored 61, 64, and 58 points, and then they had 99 against AM. Uh, I think they're more of the 61 64 58 team, and Loyola can keep them in that type of a game. It'd uh, be a great game. Uh, uh, you know, it's the quote undercard, but I think if Loyola can win, it's going to steal the show. Absolutely.
0: No you know? question. It'll be the same thing as when Butler made back to back national final. E- even more of a stretch, I think. I think, you know, Butler had had some tournament They had Gordon That's Hayward really and, they, Gordon and they Hayward. Had, had
1: some tournament success. And they had some guy named. Stevens as a head coach. He had a, he had a good coach. Yeah, coach. kind of knows what he's doing. Yep. Uh, Nightcap, Villanova, and Kansas. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised that Villanova is favored by as much as they are. I believe it's like 73%. Uh, I don't know what the actual point spread is. I have to check that out. But uh, Villanova is very good, has dominated throughout the NCAA tournament. Um, Kansas is good. They, they, I, I think the best player still standing plays for them and Malik Newman. Uh, Dante, uh, you know, Devontae Graham is the first team All-American they, they have serious talent uh, and I think will be the best team that Villanova has played all season um, so it, it's quite a test for for the Wildcats. Now this, although they are the favorite to win the national title.
0: This this is the argument that folks make when they say you're a blue chip prospect. Why would you go anywhere else but Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, wherever else? Malik Newman is a Mississippi kid. He went to Mississippi State to play for Ben Howland. But was a top 15 yeah. recruit. It was a mess. He transferred goes to Kansas, and now look at him. He leads the tournament in points scored. And he was nothing short of outstanding the other night against Duke. Uh, Probably the difference in the game. Duke obviously had a shot late to win it. Uh, Grayson Allen's bank off the glass went in, out, back in, back out again. Uh, you know it was tough luck for the Blue Devils I thought for sure I was watching the National Champions when they played against URI uh, Villanova I'm interested to see how they handle the size of Kansas and I think that's always an issue for the Wildcats they, they play undersized and if they're hitting shots they're good if not you're going to rely a lot on Eric Paschal and Amari Spellman inside. Uh, the great thing about Villanova, though, is they've won 134 games in four years. They're seniors. That's the most of any four-year group. These guys are tough. They're seasoned. They're battle-tested. And, and Jay Wright, you know, say what you will about Jay Wright maybe four or five years ago when they were going out in the second round and losing as a one seed and whatever else. This is patience rewarded for the Wildcats fans. It really is.
1: No, I, I, like, I like their flexibility. They can If they shoot the three well, they can outscore everybody and if they really have to get in and defend they can defend anybody and and they make the other team play their style and Kansas is going to have to adjust to Villanova. So
0: let's have bold predictions from Kevin Mack. Yeah I like
1: uh, Villanova and Loyola in a a Catholic final.
0: Wow. And the dream ends for Sister Jean. The day after Easter you got the all-Catholic final. That's what I'm going with. This just shades of 1983 for me. You've got Louisville and Houston in 1983 and then you had North Carolina State Jim Valvano's North Carolina State playing I think it was Georgia on the other side in sort of the JV game North Carolina State played well won the game Louisville and Houston played the game of the tournament in the 90's Daryl Griffith and Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon and everyone else if Loyola is able to sneak into the national title game and Kansas and Villanova empty the tank against one another that might soften somebody up no, no one's running Loyola out of the gym. Absolutely not. Uh, and if they get
1: into the, a, a last two-minute showdown, the other team's going to feel it more than Loyola. Mm-hmm. So, But we'll see. Uh, that'll be uh, next Monday night, and uh, we will convene sometime next week to discuss that and hopefully be really close, if not uh, openly, uh, introduce the uh, next URI basketball coach. Thanks very much. Thanks, folks.